So our final talk tonight, we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. Students will often ask me what God is like after I get them to describe their God. And they'll ask me, well, what, God, what, what is God like? And it gives me an opportunity to say something very simple yet very profound. God is exactly like Jesus. The God of the Bible is Jesus. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says that the entire creation, the universe, was created and is held held together by the word of his power. Right this very second, the entire cosmos is being held together by the person of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And nothing but an encounter with Jesus Christ can transform a life. Only Christ can save us and change us by the power of his spirit. And so let's look at Mark chapter 5, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. If you've been around me, you've heard me talk about this story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now at the end of this conference where you've you've done so much beyond obviously anything that I could see or chaperones or youth leaders or interns or staff. Lord, I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, 
Show us, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. God loves to bring peace where we feel most shattered. God loves to bless right where we feel most cursed. Now, this is a painful process. This is a disorienting process because we spend a lot of our lives covering up, compensating for the places where we feel most cursed, the places where peace feels most shattered. But that is what God is going to do at the smallest level and at the greatest level. And this story is a beautiful picture of that. What what Jesus of Nazareth is doing in this town with this woman is what he wants to do with every one of you and me. What he wants to do with us and what he's going to do with the whole universe one day. One day, Jesus of Nazareth will return in glory. And every nation and every tribe and every tongue will see him. And he will finally say, Go in peace to his people. Peace forever. Now, those of us who've hurt a lot, We long for that more than we can put into words. Those of you who have lost people that you love, those of you who have physically hurt, those of you who are emotionally wrecked, you long for that, and that's good. So let's go to the passage tonight, to the Prince of Peace. First, let's look at the cursed woman, point one, the cursed woman. Second, let's look at the Prince of Peace. And then third, so what do we do now? The cursed woman, the Prince of Peace, So what? Let's just look at this story. Look at this woman. So Jesus is in this town, and verse 25 tells us that there's a woman who has a bleeding or a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, this is what this would have meant. If if you or I had a bleeding or a problem like that, we could never attend a conference like this for 12 years. You could not be a part of society. You could not go to synagogue, which would be like going to church or youth group. You could not be a part of your family. You could not go to the store. You could not have coffee with your friends. You you were totally and completely isolated. You were what was called ceremonially unclean. And everywhere she would have gone, she would have been required by law to say, unclean, unclean. In other words, if you touch me, you will be contaminated, so get out of the way. If she got near to people, she would have made them unclean. Can you imagine for 12 years having to yell out, I am filth. I am unclean. 
Some of you know what that feels like, and you've never said it out loud, but that's the, that's the message you send. That's what you tell yourself every single day. Unclean, unclean. She would have been completely ostracized. No place for her for 12 years. Now, 12 years for someone in my, my age is not very long, but 12 years for someone who is 17, 16 years old, that is like your life. 12 years. 12 years of never hearing someone like move toward her or hold her in her family. She would have had great weakness physically. I mean, can you imagine the, uh, the anemia she might have? She would have probably been poor because she couldn't work. She had to live on the support of other people. Here's the point. This woman was a shadow. And she lived in the shadows. It reminds me of a documentary called A Walk to Beautiful. We watched it a number of years ago with my family. It's a story about women in, in rural parts of Ethiopia when they have very traumatic uh, pregnancies and labor and delivery. They have what's called a they, they have an, what's called an obstructed labor. And, a, and in a place like that, there's no medical help. And a lot of these women get what is called, big, big phrase, an obstetric, obstetric fistula. That just means you're in, the internal part of you is wrecked, shattered, torn apart. Most of the babies die. It's the most heartbreaking documentary. One of the women that were interviewed, she said... Since I gave birth to a dead baby boy, I have leaked urine constantly, and it has eaten away at the skin. The pain is terrible, but the shame is worse. And when I was watching that, I was thinking about this story. Because in Ethiopia, what happens to these women is only the best families will build like a little shed to let them sort of stay there and, and, and eventually die there in their filth. Totally isolated. And can you imagine just crying themselves to sleep in utter misery? That's what this woman is like. And then she's heard that Jesus of Nazareth has come to her town or is on, his, on, her, on the way to town. And I've been to Israel, and the towns are not big. The little villages where Jesus lived, they weren't big. And this is what I was imagining as I was going over this today. What it, what it would have been like is if Jesus would have come sort of to like the little main strip in front of like the lodges, you know, like where, where, where the administration lodge is and the dining hall and all those places, it would have been the villages, the towns would have been like that. Buildings kind of close together, but where everyone from the whole village could have come. So imagine Jesus walking in some place that is as close as that. Now this woman, this shadow of a woman, hears that Jesus Christ has come and he's walking. Now imagine here at the YMCA if this big group of people started gathering around Jesus as he's walking. This big crowd of people gathering around Jesus and she's heard about Jesus, and she's heard about Jesus because people are hearing about what he's saying and what he's doing, and they're drawn to him. And he's walking, and this man named Jairus comes up to Jesus, a very important man, and says, will you heal my daughter? 
And Jairus would have been the, like, the most important person in the village, the most important person in the town. And so Jesus says, yes. And so they make a little turn, and they head toward Jairus' house. But during that time, this woman almost invisibly scurries up behind Jesus. In the midst of the crowd, missing the feet and the elbows and the knees, scurrying up like a, like a little kitten, just dodging. And all she can get is it says his garment, which is the, the outermost part of his garment. In that day, men wore what would be like a sort of like a shroud color, like almost look like a, a like a like pajamas, almost like a, a gown kind of thing, wore like that kind of stuff. And then they had a bigger garment, almost like a robe over on top of that. And that one would have come down from the gown. And so what she grabs is the very hem, the very corner of the garment, because that's all she can get. Isn't that the most desperate thing? In the meantime, she knows that she's like really breaking all kind of rules because she's touching people left and right. And not only is she touching people left and right, she's touching perhaps the most important rabbi she's ever met. And rabbis were never touched by women like this. And there she is, just the hem of his garment. She touches him. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the desperate. And you go throughout Scripture and you see these people, whether they were at one point really strong like Peter, they eventually become as desperate as this woman. Every one of them. Or if they were as brilliant as, the, as Saul of Tarsus, he becomes as broken and as desperate as this woman clinging to the hem of his garment. Or if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, whether it's, it's Abraham or it's Moses or it's Joseph or it's David or it's Mary Magdalene in the New Testament or it's Ruth in the Old Testament, every single one of them have come to this place of being poor in spirit and desperate and realizing this man, this person is my only hope. And just grabbing the very bottom of his garment is faith. Do you see? Just reaching out to Jesus. And immediately, 12 years, remember, she's healed. She scurries back off into the darkness. One of my favorite writers, my favorite, I always call him my favorite dead Christian, is John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Well, some of you might know that John Newton was almost also one of the most infamous slave traders before he was converted to Christianity, and then later became someone who helped abolish the slave trade. He was one of the most dear, deep pastors. But the reason he was 
is because he never lost the sense of how desperately he needed Jesus. He never lost the sense of how broken he was. And all of his power to live came out of his total abandonment to the grace of God in Jesus. The most powerful Christians are the ones who know their need for Jesus the most. The ones who feel the weakest and are totally dependent upon his strength are the ones that do the most for the kingdom in this world. It is a paradox. It is upside down. But it gives glory to God and God alone. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He once wrote a pastor who was struggling with doubt. He said this to this pastor. He said, the person who feels their own weakness and worthiness the most and rests completely upon the love of God in Jesus Christ has a perpetual gentleness of spirit. They are people of peace. You want to be a person of peace? Become desperate for Christ. Where is he showing you your desperation? And you know what I do when he shows me my desperation? A block. What if you started letting him in? So let's go to the second point, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So here's what happens. She's healed immediately. And the word immediately is a Greek word that is Mark, the gospel writer who wrote this. It's his favorite word because this is the gospel of action. Immediately. Boom, she's healed. After 12 years, it clears up immediately. And so do you know what this means about the Prince of Peace? He has some serious juice going on here. Do you know what I'm saying? That's some serious action that's flying out of this guy. That you touch his pant leg and he's healed? You're healed? The doctors that she gave all her money to just made her worse and worse and worse and worse and made her totally poor and destitute. But this, this penniless teacher from Nazareth, she just grabs onto the hem of his garment and immediately she's made healed. She's made well. You know what that means? This is the king of the world that's walking through this little town. Y'all, Jesus is the king of the world. I know it's bizarre. He's the king of the world. This really happened. And the reason Jesus did stuff like this, and the reason he showed his power not to show off, is because it was his mission. His, the first sermon he ever preached in his hometown, they tried to throw him off a cliff. That's another story. But the first sermon he ever preached in his town was from the book of Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And from that point forward, everything he did was about shalom. His power is only for flourishing and shalom and for peace. It is never to bow up. It is for your flourishing. It is harnessed for your flourishing. In the places where you feel most cursed. 
He did it in the midst of a storm one time when his disciples thought that he was, uh, that when Jesus went into REM sleep, he went into REM sleep during a, basically like a hurricane on the Sea of Galilee. And they had to wake him up. You've got to be really, really tired to fall asleep during a hurricane, right? In a boat without like a motor, right? And then he wakes up and he basically goes like this, like, stop it. This is what he does. Stop. He doesn't have to call upon Zeus, right? And the powers that be. There were no seances. He just goes like, sit. And it becomes like glass. You ever seen a mo- you ever seen it? You ever seen a lake early in the morning? And then they and then it says they get really scared then. They were scared before and they were like, who is in the boat? Then he does it to demons, and he does it to disease. Because he's here to show us. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and it's recorded in the New Testament for your faith, and it's being preached to you right now, that one man came into this world, and this one man is the hope of the ages, the Lion of Judah. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is your only hope, and he is the person that stops on the way to hear the synagogue's, synagogue leader's daughter, who's dying, by the way. So here he is. She's grabbed the hem of his garment. She's healed. She's scurried off, and he stops. And he says, who touched me? Now, remember, remember the image out there with all the people walking through, right, the, the main big sidewalk, and everyone's walking through? And the disciples go like, why do you, what? Every, like, literally everyone in the town's touching you right now. They're always confused by him, by the way. You notice that. The disciples are going, I don't get this guy. What do you mean who touched you? He said, someone touched me. And we don't know how long the, the period of time transpired, but it's, it's like minutes. Like maybe five, five, 10, 15 minutes. And here's what he's doing. People have now kind of sparks, kind of gotten around him. Like, and so he's asking. He said, someone Someone here touched my garment. Someone here touched my robe. And something happened to you. I felt power go out. Where are you? Where are you? Now, this is weird stuff. Because you know why? He could have just healed her like, boom, you're welcome. Think about it. He had that kind of power. Like, I got places to be. I'm multitasking here. You're welcome person but he doesn't and this is the most important part of the whole thing why does he stop he's looking and he's looking and he's looking and then finally this little shadow says with Fear and trembling, fear and trembling, she shivers. And he says, and it says, she tells him everything. I'm sorry, I know what I have to do. I I know I wasn't supposed to touch you. She thinks she's in trouble. Clearly she thinks she's in trouble. Because now she's made Jesus unclean. Now do you see him? Do you see this little woman? This, this, 
This poor, sad woman, so desperate, isolated, no friends, no family, no money, nothing, now totally healed, standing in front of Jesus. And what is he going to say? What is God like? He's like this. He looks at her and he says, daughter. That's why he stopped. That's why he stopped. Meanwhile, Jairus' daughter dies. It's okay. He raises her from the dead. He stopped to say daughter to her and to say shalom. It's that simple. It's that beautiful. It's that powerful. That is who the God of the Bible is. He comes to us to give us our identities back that we lost in the garden. And he does it through his own death because her blood dries up, but just weeks, months away, his blood would flow and flow and flow for her and for me and for you. And so what is God like? What is the Prince of Peace like? He never wants us just to have a healing, just to have an experience. He wants us in the family. That's it. I wonder what it was like for her to hear daughter. Instead of a curse, she gets a blessing, and he takes the blessing. He takes the curse and gives us the blessing. That's what he does. He blesses her. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Go in peace. So what? So what do we do with that? You have to understand something about the Prince of Peace. The nature of the Prince of Peace. And it's this. One, the Prince of Peace calls for your total surrender. Absolute surrender. He bleeds out on a hill outside of Jerusalem. He purchases purchases us by his blood in union with Jesus Christ. And so there is literally a wedding that has occurred between Christ and his people. And so what Jesus wants is complete surrender physically. He wants your body. He owns your body. He owns your mind. He owns your heart. He owns your gifts. He owns your future. He owns your past. He owns your present. He wants absolute authority over your, who your friends are. He wants absolute authority over what you do with your life. He wants absolute authority over how you use your body. Absolute, complete surrender to his authority. Whoa, whoa, wait a second, Richie. That really bums me out. 
Because when we hear the word authority, especially we're just like, ugh. I thought he was the prince of peace. Yeah. But he's the kind of prince of peace that circles back and calls you daughter or son. He's the kind of prince of peace that dies for you. Jesus Christ, in the, word of my men, in, the, in the words of my mentor, Knox Chamlin, is the only obsession that will not destroy you. He's the only master that will free you. We all have all these other masters, and they are enslaving us. And they are taking life away from us. And that is why the most common description of a New Testament epistle that is a letter in the New Testament, when the New Testament writers, including the half-brother of Jesus, James, he describes himself as a slave of the Lord Jesus. That's what a Christian is, a slave of the Lord Jesus. And so here's what he's calling us to do, to enter into true freedom. 2 Corinthians 3 said, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And the Spirit is the Lord, and he's the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ has paid for all your debts in Jesus Christ for those who've put their trust in him. But he's also going to point out ways in your life that are not in line with shalom. That's what obedience is. Obedience is true freedom in Christ. That's why we have a thing called the church. The local church is the place where we grow in our love and obedience of Jesus Christ in our submission, and our surrender to the Prince of Peace. Do you see who you're surrendering to? You're surrendering to the one who surrendered himself. So there are some parts in all of our lives until the day we die that we're going to be struggling and we never arrive. We are gradually and inevitably in the, in our, in the context of the local church hearing the word preached and applied in large groups and in small groups and in one-on-ones, and we're going to the Lord's table, and people are saying, you know, have you ever thought about this part of your life, Richie? Have you ever considered this sin in your life, Richie? And all it does is get me to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into the premise of Jesus, my master. That's where you go back. Really, really practical. Go to church. Go throw yourself into the people of God. Don't expect it to be perfect. Why not? You're there. I'm there. Like, give the church a break. 2019, okay? Here's the second thing. The Prince of Peace calls us to be in his, on his mission. Yeah. Now, this is the most exciting thing. Do you remember the lady I was talking, the, the documentary I was talking about, A Walk to Beautiful? Well, the happy part, the beautiful part of that story is that two physicians from Australia, Dr. Reg and Catherine Hamlin, both uh, physicians, came and, and started a hospital in the capital of Ethiopia specifically for women who, who, had, this same, who had this problem. And the stories, go watch the documentary, A Walk to, a Walk to Beautiful. The stories about these lives, because the, 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 the procedure is not a difficult procedure to fix, apparently medically, for most of them. They're giving their lives back, and they go from being these women who are like walking death and sadness to smiles on their faces. And they have jobs, and they have laughter, and there's color, and there's hope. 
Y'all, you know what that is? That's being an agent of peace. That is your job. So what do I do with my gifts and my skills and all the things that I do? You know what you do? It's not, it's not rocket science. It just isn't. What we do is we use our talents and our skills for the Prince of Peace and for the kingdom of God, the one that's coming. And in the words of the mission of my church where I go to in Nashville, we join Christ in his mission and loving people, places, and things to life. So when you're thinking about your future, whether it's going to be in business or where you're going to go to college, who you're going to marry, who you're going to date, uh, what you want to do with your life, the life that is wasted is a life that is lived for your own pursuits. Or let me close with the words of C.S. Lewis. The Christians who did for the most in this world were precisely the Christians who thought the most of the next world. If you live in this world right now for the next world of shalom, you get the next world and this world thrown in. But if you live just for this world, you get neither. May we join Christ in his mission, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with such a desire to surrender ourselves to you. And while most of us will not go to Africa, although some of us will, would you, Holy Spirit, give us clarity and vision and wonder and creativity and energy that we might live our lives for your kingdom and that we might be inspired to see people know this wonderful Jesus that we talked about tonight. In whose precious name we pray. Amen.